0: Chapter twenty eight of the giant's robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty eight Mark knows the worst. To avoid Caffyn was out of the question, and so Mark waited for him with as much self-control as he could muster, as he strolled leisurely up. Caffyn's quick eye saw at once that something unusual had happened, and he resolved to find out what that was before they parted thought it must be you,' he began. "'So you've come out here to meditate on your coming happiness, have you? "'Come along and pour out some of your raptures. "'It'll do you good, and you don't know what a listener I can be.' "'Not now,' said Mark uneasily. "Ah, uh, I think I would rather be alone.' "'Nonsense!' said Caffyn briskly. "'You don't really mean that, I know.' "'Why, I'm going away to-morrow to the lakes. "'I must have a little talk with you before I go.' "'What are you going there for?' said Mark, without much show of interest. "'My health, my boy! Old Featherstone has let me out for a fortnight's run, and I'm going to see what mountain Air can do for me.' "'And where are you going now?' asked Mark. "'Now? Well, I was going across to see if the Featherstones would give me some lunch, but I'm in no hurry. I'll go wherever you want to go.' "'Thanks,' said Mark. "'But—but but I won't take you out of your way.' it's not taking me out of my way a bit i assure you my boy and we haven't had a talk together for ages so come along i can't said mark more uncomfortably still i have some-some business which i must see to alone Odd sort of place this for business no no master mark it won't do i've got you and i mean to stick to you you know what a tactless beggar i can be when i like seriously do you think i can't see there's something wrong i'm hanged if i think it's safe to let you go about alone while you're looking like this it isn't any any hitch at kensington park gardens is it and there was a real anxiety in his tone as he asked this no said mark shortly it's not that have you got into any trouble then any scrape you don't see your way out of you might do worse and tell me all about it "'There's nothing to tell,' said Mark, goadied past prudence by his persistence. "'It's only a letter—a rather important letter—which I brought out here to read quietly.' "'Why, the deuce, couldn't you say so before?' cried Caffin. "'I won't interrupt you. Read your letter, by all means, and I'll walk up and down here till you're ready for me. "'Only don't make me think you want to cut me. "'You might wait till you're married for that, and you ought to know very well if you don't.' "'Why, I've been obliged, as it is, to decline the invitation to the marriage-feast.' Mark saw that for some reason Caffin did not mean to be shaken off just then, and, as he could bear the suspense no longer, and knew that to walk about with Caffin and talk indifferently of his coming happiness, with that letter unread in his pocket, would drive him mad, he had no choice but to accept the compromise. So he went to the bench and began to open the letter with trembling hands— while Caffin paced up and down at a discreet distance. "'I see what it is now,' he thought, as he noticed the foreign envelope. "'I'm uncommonly glad I came up just then. "'Will he go through with it after this? "'Will he tell me anything, I wonder? "'Very little, I fancy, of what I know already. "'We shall see.' This was the letter which Mark read. While the northeast wind roared through the boughs overhead, driving the gritty shell-dust in his face, and making the thin paper in his fingers flap with its vicious jerks. Talipot Bungalow, Nura Elia, Ceylon My dear Mark, I am not going to reproach you for your long silence, as I dare say you waited for me to write first. I have been intending to write again and again, and have been continually prevented, but I hardly expected to hear from you, unless you had anything of importance to tell me something however has just come to my knowledge here which makes me fancy that you might have other reasons for not writing what does he mean by that thought mark in sudden terror and for a moment dared not read on have you by some strange chance been led to believe that i was on board the unfortunate mangalore at the time of the disaster because i see on looking over some old indian papers at the club here that my name appears on the list of missing. As a matter of fact, I left the ship at Bombay. I arranged to spend a day or two with some people, old friends of my father's, who have a villa on the Malabar Hill, but on my arrival there found a telegram from Ceylon warning me to lose no time if I wished to see my father alive. The Mangalore was to stop several more days at Bombay, and I decided to go on at once overland to Madras, and take my chances there of a steamer for Colombo, leaving my host to send down word to the ship of my change of plan. I can only suppose that there was some misunderstanding about this, and even then I cannot understand how the steward could have returned me as on board under the circumstances. But if only the mistake has given you no distress, it is not of much consequence. As I wrote since my arrival here, to the only other quarter in which the report might have caused alarm, to continue my story i was fortunate enough to catch a boat at madras and so reached colombo some time before the mangalore was due there and as i went on at once to yatagala it is not to be wondered at if in that remote part of the country up in adapusilava in the hill district it was long before i even heard of the wreck there was not much society there as you may imagine the neighbouring estates being mostly held by native planters or managers, with whom my father had never, even when well, been at all intimate. Well, my poor father rallied a little and lingered for some time after my arrival. His condition required my constant care, and I hope I was able to be of some comfort to him. When he died, I thought it best to do what I could, with the overseer's assistance, to carry on the plantation until there was a good opportunity of disposing of it, and for a time it did seem as if my efforts were going to be rewarded the life was hard and lonely enough but it had its charms for a solitary man like myself then everything seemed to go wrong at once we had a bad season to begin with and next fungus suddenly showed itself on the estate and soon spread to such an extent that as a coffee plantation the place is quite worthless now though i dare say they will be able to grow tea or kinchona on it i have done with yatagala myself having just succeeded in getting rid of it naturally not for a very large price per acre but still i shall have enough altogether to live upon if i decide to carry on my old profession or to start me fairly in some other line but i am coming home first i can't call this island lovely as most of it is home there is nothing to keep me here any longer except my health which has been anything but good for the last few months. I have been down with fever after fever, and this place, which I was ordered to as a health resort, is too damp and chilly to get really well in. So I shall make an effort to leave in about a fortnight by the P&O Coromandel, which they tell me is a comfortable boat. After my experience of the Mangalore, I prefer to trust this time to the regular liners. "'I write this chiefly to ask you to do me a kindness if you possibly can. "'I have a sort of longing to see a friendly face on landing, "'and lately I have come to persuade myself that, after all, "'you may have good news to meet me with. "'Can you come? I have no timetables here, "'but I calculate that the ship will reach Plymouth "'some time during the Easter holidays, "'so that, even if you are still in St. Peter's, "'your school duties will not prevent your coming.' you can easily get the exact time we arrive by inquiring at the p and o offices in lednall street we shall meet so soon now that i need write no more as it is there is another letter i must write if i can for you would hardly believe how difficult i find it to write at all in my present state though a sea voyage will set me up again the letter ended rather abruptly the writing becoming almost illegible towards the close as if the writer's strength had gradually failed him. Mark came to the end with a feeling that was almost relief. His chief dread had been to hear that he was found out, and that his exposure might be made public before he could make Mabel his own. It was terrible to know that the man he had injured was alive, but still it was something that he was still unaware of his injury. It was a respite, and to a man of Mark's temperament that was much. Even if Holroyd was strong enough to take his passage by the Coromandel, he could hardly be in England for at least another fortnight, and long before he arrived at Plymouth the wedding would have taken place, and in a fortnight he might be able to hit upon something to soften some of the worst aspects of his fraud. The change in the title of the book, in the nom de plume, and even the alterations of the text might be explained. But then, there was that fatal concession of allowing his real name to appear it was he knew to be placed on the title page of the latest edition would there be time to suppress that this occurred to him but vaguely for it seemed just then as if when mabel were once his wife no calamity could have power to harm him and now nothing holroy could do would prevent the marriage after that the deluge so he was almost his usual self as he rose and came towards caffyn his hand however still trembled a little causing him to bungle in replacing the letter and drop the envelope which the other obligingly picked up and restored to him ashburn my dear fellow he began as they walked on together i hope you won't think me impertinent but i couldn't help seeing the writing on that envelope and it seems to me i knew it at once and yet Do you mind telling me if it's from anyone i know mark would of course have preferred to say nothing but it seemed best on the whole to avoid suspicion by telling the truth caffyn as a friend of vincent's would hear it before long it might look odd if he made any secret of it now and so he told the tale of the escape much as the letter had given it his companion was delighted He laughed with pleasure, and congratulated Mark on the joy he supposed him to feel, until the latter could hardly bear it. "'Who would have hoped for this?' he said, "'when we were talking about the dead coming to life some time ago, eh? "'And yet it's happened. "'Poor dear old Vincent! "'And you say he's coming home soon?' "'Very soon, in about a fortnight,' said Mark. "'He he wants me to go down to Plymouth and meet him, "'but of course I can't do that.' a fortnight cried caffyn capital but how do you make it out though easily said mark he talks of coming by the coromandel and starting about a fortnight after he wrote so i see said caffyn i suppose you've looked at the date no then let me look here it's more than five weeks old look at the postmark why it's been in england nearly a fortnight "'It was delayed at my people's,' said Mark, not seeing the importance of this at first. "'That's how it was.' "'But—but don't you see?' Caffin said, excitedly for him. "'If he really has sailed by this Coromandel, he must be very near now. He might even be in Plymouth by this time.' "'Good God!' groaned Mark, losing all control as the truth flashed upon him, while the grey grass heaved under his unstable feet caffyn was watching him with a certain curiosity which was not without a malicious amusement you didn't expect that he said it's capital isn't it capital murmured mark he'll be in time for your wedding pursued caffyn yes said mark heavily he'll be in time for that now yes his doom was advancing upon him fast and he must wait patiently for it to fall he was tied down, without possibility of escape, unless he abandoned all hope of Mabel. Perhaps he might as well do that first as last." "'Well,' said Caffyn. "'what are you going to do about it?' "'Do?' echoed Mark. "'What can I do? I shall see him soon enough, I suppose.' "'That's a composed way of expecting a long-lost friend, certainly,' said Caffyn, laughing. "'Can't you understand,' retorted Mark, that that situated as I am, coming at such a time as this. "'Even a man's dearest friend might might be—might be—rather in the way. "'Why, of course, I never thought of that. "'Shows how dull I'm getting. "'He will be in the way—juicedly in the way, if he comes. "'After all, though, he may not come.' "'Let us find out,' said Mark. "'Surely there's a way of finding out.' "'Oh, yes,' said Caffyn. "'I dare say they can tell us at the offices. "'We'll have a cab and drive there now, "'and then we shall know what to do. "'Legnor Street, isn't it?' They walked sharply across to the Bayswater Road, where they could get a hansom, and as they drove along towards the city, Mark's hopes began to rise. Perhaps Holroyd was not on board the Coromandel. And then he tried to prepare himself for the contrary how should he receive vincent when he came for of course he would seek him out at once the desperate idea of throwing himself on his friend's mercy occurred to him if he could be the first to tell holroyd the truth surely he would consent to arrange the matter without any open scandal he would not wish to ruin him so long as he received his own again Both Caffin and Mark were very silent during that long and wearisome drive, with its frequent blocks in the crowded city thoroughfares. And when they arrived at last at the courtyard in front of the offices, Mark said to his companion, "'You manage this, will you?' For he felt quite unequal to the task himself. They had to wait some time at a broad mahogany counter before a clerk was at liberty to attend to them for the office was full of people making various inquiries or paying passage money mark cursed the deliberation with which the man before them was choosing his berth on the cabin plan submitted to him but at last the precautions against the screw and the engines and the kitchens were all taken and the clerk proceeded to answer caffyn's questions in the fullest and most obliging manner he went with them to the telegram boards by the doors and after consulting a dispatch announcing the Coromandel's departure from Gibraltar, said that she would probably be at Plymouth by the next evening or early the following morning. Now, find out if he's on board her, said Mark, and his heart almost stopped when the clerk came back with a list of passengers and ran his finger down the names v b Holroyd is that your friend? If you think of meeting him at Plymouth, you have only to see our agents there, and they will let you know when the tender goes out, to take the passengers ashore. After that, Mark made his way out blindly, followed by Caffyn. "'Let us talk here. It's quieter,' said the latter, when they were in the courtyard again. "'Not so good of talking,' said Mark. "'Don't you think you ought to go down to Plymouth?' suggested Caffyn. "'No,' said Mark. "'I don't. How can I now? Oh, I know you're wanted for exhibition and all that, but you could plead business for one day. What is the use? said Mark. He will come to see me as soon as he gets to town. No, he won't, my boy, said Caffyn. He will go and see the Langtons even before such a devoted friend as you are. Didn't you know he was like one of the family there? I have heard them mention him, said the unhappy Mark, on whom a dreadful vision had flashed of Holroyd, "'learning the truth by some innocent remark of Mabel's. "Uh, "'I—I didn't know they were intimate.' "'Oh, yes,' said Caffin. "'They'll make a tremendous fuss over him. "'Now, look here, my dear fellow, "'let's talk this over without any confounded sentiment. "'Here's your wedding at hand, "'and here's a long-lost intimate friend "'about to turn up in the midst of it. "'You'd very much prefer him to say away. "'There's nothing to be ashamed of in that.' I should myself if i were in your shoes no fellow cares about playing second fiddle at his own wedding now i've got a little suggestion to make i was going down to wastwater to-morrow but i wouldn't much mind waiting another day if i could only get a fellow to come with me i always liked holroyd you know capital good chap he is and if you leave me to manage him i believe i could get him to come "'I own I rather funk Wastwater all alone at this time of year.' "'He wouldn't go,' said Mark, hopelessly. "'He would go there, as readily as anywhere else, if you left him to me. i tell you what,' he added, as if the idea had just occurred to him. "'Suppose I go down to Plymouth and catch him there. "'I don't mind the journey a bit.' "'No,' said Mark. "'I am going to meet him. "'I must be the first to see him.' after that if he likes to go away with you he can then you are going down after all said caffyn what are you going to say to him that is my affair said mark oh i beg pardon i only meant that if you say anything to him about this wedding or even let him think the langtons are in town i may as well give up any idea of getting him to come away with me look here you might do me a good turn particularly when you know you won't be sorry to get him off your hands yourself tell him you're going abroad in a day or two that's true you're going to switzerland for your honeymoon you know and let him think the langtons are away somewhere on the continent it's all for his good he'll want mountain air and a cheerful companion like me to put him right again he'll be the first to laugh at an innocent little deception like that but Mark had done with deceptions, as he told himself. "'I shall tell him what I think he ought to know,' he said firmly, and Caffin, with all his keenness, mistook the purpose in his mind. "'I'll take that for an answer,' he said, "'and I shan't leave town to-morrow on the chance of his being able to go.' And so they parted. "'Ought I to have let him see that I knew?' Caffin was thinking when he was alone again. "'No, I don't want to frighten him. "'I think he will play my game without it.' "'Mark went back to the Langtons and dined there. "'Afterwards he told Mabel privately "'that he would be obliged to leave town "'for a day or two on pressing business. "'There was no mistaking his extreme reluctance to go, "'and she understood that only the sternest necessity "'took him away at such a time, "'trusting him too entirely to ask any questions. "'But as they parted, she said, It's only for two days, Mark, isn't it? Only for two days, he answered. And soon we shall be together, you and I, for all our lives, she said softly, with a great happiness in her low tones. I ought to be able to give you up for just two days, Mark. Before those two days were over, he thought, she might give him up for ever. And the thought that this was possible made it difficult for him to part as if all were well. He went back and passed a sleepless night, thinking over the humiliating task he had set himself. His only chance of keeping Mabel now lay in making a full confession to Holroyd of his perfidy. He would offer a complete restitution in time. He would plead so earnestly that his friend must forgive him, or at least consent to stay his hand for the present. He would humble himself to any extent, if that would keep him from losing Mabel altogether anything but that if he lost her now the thought of the happiness he had missed so narrowly would drive him mad it was a miserably cold day when he left paddington and he shivered under his rug as he sat in the train he could hardly bear the cheerful talk of meeting or parting friends at the various stations at which the train stopped he would have welcomed a collision which would deal him a swift and painless death and free him from the misery he had brought upon himself. He would have been glad, like the lover in the last ride together, although for very different reasons, if the world could end that day, and his guilt be swallowed up in the sum of iniquity. But no collision occurred, and, as it is perhaps unnecessary to add, the universe did not gratify him by dissolving on that occasion. The train brought him safely to the Plymouth platform, and left him there to face his difficulty alone it was about six o'clock in the evening and he lost no time in inquiring at his hotel for the p and o agents and making his way to their offices up the stony streets and along a quiet lane over the hill by hogate he was received with courtesy and told all that he wished to know the coromandel was not in yet would not be in now until after dark if then They would send him word if the tender was to go out the next morning, said the agent as he wrote him the necessary order to go on board her. After that Mark went back to the hotel and dined, or rather attempted to dine, in the big coffee-room by the side of a blazing fire that was powerless to thaw the cold about his heart. And then he retired to the smoking-room, which he had all to himself, and where he sat staring grimly at the leather benches and cold, marble-topped tables around him, while he could hear muffled music and applause from the theatre hard by, varied by the click of the balls in the billiard-room at the end of the corridor. Presently the waiter announced a messenger for him, and on going out into the hall he found a man of seafaring appearance, who brought him a card stating that the tender would leave the Mill Bay Pier at six the next morning, by which time the Coromandel would most probably be in. Mark went up to his bedroom that night as to a condemned cell. He dreaded another night of sleepless tossing. Sleep came to him, however, merciful and dreamless, as it will sometimes to those in desperate case. But he yielded to it with terror as he felt it coming upon him, for it brought the morning nearer. End of chapter twenty eight.